This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. My special guest today, Mark Fennell, um, broadcaster, author and podcaster. Welcome back to the Media Week podcast, Mark. It has been far too long. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it has been a long time and that's completely my fault. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how dare you? How very dare you? But I, I feel like I see you regularly. I do see you regularly <laughs> from your, you know, you've, you've been a big part of Tuesday nights more so than ever recently on SBS. So congratulations on that as well as um, your other activities. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've been um, uh, doing both Insight and, uh, and, the, and the feed for the last couple of weeks. And I suspect the next couple of weeks, uh, I just, I don't quite know how much longer I'm going to be doing it for, but I'm happy to keep doing it. So it's, Insight's a wonderful show. Like, I mean, if you're, if the thing that excites you as a, as a journalist is just people, which is sort of the one connective thread throughout everything I do, I just love understanding why people tick. A show like Insight is an actual gift because it's just all about trying to understand why people do what they do and how they react to certain situations. And it's been really delightful. I think the, the only challenge has been that because of uh, the, the pandemic that shall go unnamed is that so much of the show now is basically, well, it's like this, it's a lot of Zoom, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of remote connections. And I think one of the real challenges of it is making it still feel intimate and um, engaged, but still, <laughs> you know, via these, these technologies, which is uh, yeah, an interesting, interesting challenge. We're mainly going to be chatting about your podcasting, but before I forget, I wanted to ask you this question about SBS. Now, you've also done Dateline as well, haven't you? In the mm -hmm. Yep. Have you ever done all three on the same night? No. <laughs> <laughs> and it has, it, it has come up as a conversation just to make sure, make sure that it, it doesn't. And I think um, I was actually due to fly out to the UK to shoot a Dateline just on pretty much the weekend the borders were closed. So I would say it's unlikely that I do Dateline until we have clarity around, you know, international travel. I will say that, you know, the, the, the film I made last year with Dateline of the Hong Kong protests um, was is still one of the things I'm probably most, like, proud of. It was a really, um, it was a really amazing experience. But for right now, I think you'll, you'll mostly, mostly see me on, on Insight and, and the feed and, uh, and hope there'll be the dateline to separate so you don't get too much overload of Mark. Yes, okay. Um, I'll return to some of your other activities a little later in the podcast because everything you do is pretty fascinating and I want to talk about um, download the show as well. Um, but first up, your deal with Audible. You had mm. a podcast, and I think it was, was it last year or the year before? It burned. Yeah, so Eatburns came out April last year and it's sort of been rolling out around the world since then. Yeah, okay. And then you're back with your second Audible series, Nut Jobs, which uh, will be live on Audible from June 2. Um, let's talk about the new one first and then I'll ask you a bit about um, It Burns. So the you, you don't give away much in the title. Nut Jobs could really mean anything, couldn't it? It could. Uh, so the the story goes that a few years ago, um, about $10 million was stolen from the state of California and it was $10 million of nuts. Uh, almonds, pistachios, these trucks would just disappear and nobody really knew where they went. And, of course, uh, one of the producers I worked on at Burns mentioned this to me as we were finishing off at Burns, which was about the race to 
the world's hottest chili. And I remember him just telling it to me and I, I did this thing where I sort of, I looked up to the side and went, why? And so I have this sort of like slightly compulsive personality where if something like that catches my imagination, I get a bit nerdy and I just start emailing people and I start um, compiling lists of articles and whatnot. And uh, me and some of the team who made it Burns, we just started building these Google documents trying to work out what the hell happened to these trucks. And, and before you knew it, you know, you're sort of sitting in front of uh, a bunch of names and a bunch of locations. You're like, there's something here, definitely there's something here. And what it sort of emerged is that, um, that there was a really high tech complicated heist where you had truck drivers who were part of a heist that they didn't even realize they were a part of. But also it's this amazing entry into the world of, uh, of the California nut industry. 80% of the world's almonds come from California and it, this crime involves organized crime uh, units. It reaches into some big environmental and some big emotional issues as well. And it was this amazing doorway into a really big world. And I think that's the stuff as a, you know, as a documentary maker, as an interviewer, that's the stuff that really excites me. It's like, when is a, when can you find a small doorway that illuminates a big world? And this was, this was, you know, very, very, very big and complicated, but at the same time, it starts with this weird quirky heist. Like how does that happen? And suddenly this doorway was like swung wide open. So now I think, did, did the heist start in about 2012? Yes, yes. So the, it was a series of heists that happened over a period of time. But, yeah, we think, we think 2012 is where it began, yes. Okay. And, and how long after that did you hear about it? With quite a while? I heard about it. Yeah, no, I didn't hear about it until last year. Okay, okay. Yeah. And probably and tell me if you don't want any spoilers because... I guess you re you reveal stuff during it, but has it all has it all been solved? Is that going to give away what happens, or do we find that out during the podcast? You'll find that out during the podcast. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, th I thought that might be the case. Now, course, now, you make a trip over to California, don't you? Yes, I spent a few weeks in California. So we did a we did a bunch of uh, we did a fair bit of research and interviews beforehand. I spent a few weeks over there, and then we did a bunch of stuff afterwards as well. Okay, okay. Now you meet some interesting characters there. The one I like that you hear in that first episode is it the is it Rocky Pipkin Detective Agency? Is that right? Is that not the best name? I love and Rocky was very lovely to sort of invite us into his world. Um, but yeah, so I he was my first port of call because often the farmers who had stuff stolen, one of their first instincts wasn't necessarily to call the cops. Often they would call private investigators first, and there's a range of reasons why they did that, but Rocky seemed to be like the first point person and it seemed like a good enough place to start. But then Rocky <laughs> I mean this in the nicest possible way. Rocky palms me off to his head of investigations. He's like, go meet Art here. And he puts a, a pin drop in my phone and he puts a, um, uh, <laughs> he puts a bulletproof vest on me and it just puts a location in my phone and tells me to go there. And so you can imagine like I'm in the middle of the night, in the middle, like as, as sun is falling, driving into this middle of nowhere. And you've got to imagine like the, the almonds, they take up like the space of Samoa or Singapore. Like it's just almonds everywhere. That's all you can see. So you're driving in the middle of this. He's just told you about bodies being buried in orchards and, you know, uh, people firing off guns for fun, the fun of it in the middle of these orchards. And you're driving to a pin drop. It's not even a, an address. It's a pin drop that you're driving to. And I'm just like, 
well, this is a normal thing for me to be doing. Um, and I think one of the things that I've learned over the years, um, both with It Burns and Nut Jobs, and, and even with some of the films I've made for the feed and Dateline, it's like you have to be alive to the possibilities of where a story like that can take you. You have to, and some of the best moments in documentaries come from things you do not expect. The unexpected is, is usually great material. And that, I will say, Nut Jobs was not short on unexpected turns. So I think I've learned to be better about sort of being honest with the microphone and being honest with the audience about when things are legitimately frightening and you legitimately don't know what you're walking into. Because I think people, res I, I found that people respond to it quite well. It's, it's just honesty. It's honesty about when things are terrifying you. And, um, you know, the truth just sounds different. Sure. With, I, I know in that first episode, I think there's, because there's a couple of investigators, isn't there? There's not just Rocky, is that right? Yep. Yeah, there's a few of them, yeah. One of them asks you about sort of, hey, why, why the interest from an Australian, you know? Did, did you come up against much of that? Did people first of all say, hey, why are you here in California <laughs> looking at this? I get that job everywhere whenever I do anything. <laughs> um, you know, whether I'm at, you know, being tear gassed in Hong Kong or at a chili eating festival in Arizona or in the middle of a nut farm in California. I, there is, I think one of the great advantages we have as Australians is that we don't actually carry an enormous amount of baggage with us throughout the world. You can rock up and, and my job, if you were to, you know, if you were to boil all of my, my sort of my journalism work down, my job is to basically step into worlds where I don't belong and honestly ask, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> and I think what I've been, I guess, surprised and, and happy to realise is that most people, if they, most people take it in good faith. And, you know, I've been amazed at the worlds I've been able to walk into and ask, hey, can you explain to me how this works and why did you do that? And, and I think people recognise that I'm genuinely curious. I'm not out there to make them look bad. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about how this world works. And I guess I've been, if, if anything has surprised me over the last few years of moving into this space, is that there is a, that people will, if you approach it genuinely and openly and honestly, people will open up to you. Um, and, and I think being Australian really helps. I think it really, really helps. I think Americans um, in particular, they, they are, I'm a curiosity to them. Um, you know, like I, with both of the series I've done with Audible, uh, there's constant questions about, like, why did you come here for this? It's like, because I'm interested. I'm interested in how this strange thing happened and what it says about you, what it says about this place and what it says about how we eat. And I think the reality of it with Nutjobs is that Nutjobs is a weird, quirky crime that illuminates a lot about how food is made. And, you know, one of the things I really hope with the series is that when people, you know, when people finish listening to it, I want them to be able to open up their fridge and open up their pantry and not just see a bunch of products there. It's realised there's a bunch of lives there. Every time you pick up something in a shopping centre or pick out something in the fridge, you are touching literally hundreds of people's lives, hundreds of people work to bring that there. And what does that mean? And, and, and how, how are you affecting those people in those choices? And I think I wanted to give some, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about how food is made and how food is grown and the impacts of it. It's a whole other thing to meet people and understand that there is mystery and hopes and dreams and tragedies that fall into that world. I think that's what, in some ways, that's what both It Burns and Nutjobs is about. It's about opening up that world and realising that 
you connect with a lot more people than you realise every time you touch something. When when you're on the road, when you're travelling, give us what what have you got? Have you just have you got what do you use to actually record on? Is it is it just you, the mic, and your little recorder? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it is me. Uh, both series I've done, I'm out in the field by myself. Um, I have a Zoom recorder and I use two different microphones. Um, one, I use a, a Sennheiser shotgun on a little um, on a little handle. And, and I like that because it's, uh, it's a great way of really isolating voices. Um, and so I will sit next to somebody and I'll just twist it backwards and forwards. And I, a big part of what I like to do with this series is build a sense of place. There are always interviews uh, you know, outside and, and we're out doing something. I think it's really important to kind of bring it alive. Um, it's also really helpful for picking up natural sound. You know, both of these series involve, you know, various degrees of nature and a shotgun will let you actually isolate some of that sound. You know, if I'm going up to uh, a tractor, I want to be able to pick up the tractor in isolation so you can build that sequence. It's a lot about building a world with sound is about um, you were actually building it with what I like to call audio close-ups. You build a sense of place by like, Here's the truck sound. Here's a creek sound. Here's the and you use each of those sounds to create an image in people's minds. But you, there's no, you can't do a what, you can't do the the audio version of a wide shot. You have to build it with close-ups in people's minds. And I think I find that process really creative. And what enables it is having um, a device that will let me really sharpen, sharply pick up individual sounds that we can build after the fact. And then um, I use a Neumann, uh, a, a different a Neumann condenser mic to do all my voiceover stuff because I want there to be a slight difference in sound to the field recording and the narration because the narration is basically, it's, it's, it's thought track. I'm, I'm inviting you inside the thoughts going inside my head. And I think that's important. I think it's a, an important audio distinction to have a slight separation between those two sounds. And that, but look, that's, that's me being nerdy. As, as you well know, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat, but this is just how I've sort of devised a sound that I think works for me and the series that I do with Audible. I love the way you construct your uh, sort of, in all your work, there's a, you can tell you, you know, you, you have a lot of input into how the finished product will be presented. I know on the first episode, I think it's about six-minute intro you've got before the actual <laughs> podcast starts proper. So I, I love all that. There's a bit of a tease, you know. You lay it all out and then and then you realise, oh, okay, he's going to start the podcast proper here. So, so that, that that's great. I, I love all that. Tell me when you're... How critical are you of your work? I, I know sometimes when I do an interview, I might think, oh, God, that was terrible. I didn't get anything. And you, <laughs> and you listen back and you think, well, actually, it's not that bad. I, I can use some of that. But what are you like when you're out doing stuff? There will there will never be a more critical person of my work than me. <laughs> there just isn't. And, I, and, you know, I think one of the interesting things, I one of the interesting distinctions about working with Audible, I will say, is that, um, Audible has a really interesting and engaged audience who, when they write reviews, and, you know, like I, I've been in front of cameras and microphones since I was a teenager, so I'm sort of used to just being slagged, you know, on Twitter and whatnot. That's, that's mm -hmm. normal. Um, but what you get on Audible is really different. What you get is really considered, really detailed um, reviews from people that, like, they're, they're literally writing, like, well-constructed reviews of of certainly a bit burns. And I found that to be 
really actually encouraging because like, you know, obviously lots of people did like it burns. It went, you know, I think to like, I think it shot to the top of the US charts and audible. It did really, really well. And so obviously there's lots of really nice comments in there, but the people that didn't like it or the people that liked it, but didn't like aspects of it go really detailed feedback. And I was like, this is great. And, you know, I was a film critic for 15 years, so far be it for me to complain about reviews that are less than glowing, but it was like, this is really interesting. And I will say, you know, it's the first time I've ever really encountered that before. Um, but in terms of me, like, no, I'm, I said, you know, I, I have, a, I'm a really, maybe it was because I was a film critic. I, I, I'm pretty live to the criticisms of, of, of the work and, um, it means I'm really particular, you know, I'm really particular about what I want something to, to feel like, what I want it to sound like, what the image in people's mind is. And um, that's not me, you know, dictating that to other people. That's me getting my hands dirty and, you know, sitting down there and, you know, finding the sound that will make that work. It's f picking the music that will make that work. And I'm, you know, I'm, I've got, I think I've gotten better over the years to working with a team and kind of creating that vision and bringing everyone along. But I'm, um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm a dragon. I'm just, I'm just very particular about making sure that um, if it works or if it fails, at least it was true to the image that I had in my head, I guess, as well. So, you know, as, as good as it may be or as bad as it may be, it still kind of rests on, on me not screwing it up. Sure. So you, you mentioned Audible there. Let's talk about that. Now, this is a little bit different, isn't it, that these podcasts sit behind a, a paywall, I guess, they're for members. Did, mm. did that come into your thinking when you first signed up with Audible? Because you're a bit of a, I mean, in your past, maybe when you were younger, you were, oh, the internet's free, man, you know. That, <laughs> you didn't have to pay for it. Yes. You know? <laughs> But yes, that is true. I was I was a little bit like that. Um, look, I think there. Well, firstly, I'll say is um, it, it is free. You, all you need to do is you just need to sign up to Audible, and it is free, and you can get a thirty day trial for, for Audible. So, okay. in that sense, it is um, anybody you know anybody can sign up to Audible, and they'll get it as part of the deal. And I would understandably encourage you to do so. Um, but in terms of what's happening more largely with with audio, I, I think. You know, I'm, I'm in an unusual position where I've done, I've obviously done podcasts with the public broadcasters and I've done some branded podcasts as well in the open ecosystem and then I've done something which is um, in its own universe of, of the Audible universe. And I think I'm very comfortable doing all three, but I think it's really key to understand that they are different and the way people encounter them is different and the expectations of them are different. And I think one thing that I uh, is worth noting is Audible... To me, Audible is, and this isn't how they would sell it, but to me it's basically the HBO of sound. It's really novelistic. It's really high quality. They, you know, they, 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 they pay to make things, I think, really, really well. And, um, you know, I think what, I'm, what, they're, what they're after is something that it really feels like it has an arc to it and it has a sort of a novelistic payoff to it. And that was something that I was really excited to work with them for. I also think the great advantage of Audible from a creator's standpoint is that they have this huge international network that they can push out to um, subscribers in the US, the UK, Canada. And that's a really powerful thing that, you know, if you're just competing in the open ecosystem of Apple Podcasts, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think what I found with Audible was a partner that I think they really got the world I wanted to, to create, the sound I wanted to create, but they were also like, they were invested in making sure their subscribers, their, their really engaged listeners heard it because it's in their interest. So I think, I think it, you know, if somebody's listening to this and, consider, and you know, obviously every dog in their son 
it's not a phrase, but everybody's, you know, getting into podcasting now. I think it's important to understand which of the different outlets is after different sorts of things. And I think Audible, you know, it's it's a really, if you, all you need to do is look at, you know, not just my stuff, but I think, you know, uh, the comedy work like Riot Act, which um, Mark Humphries and Dan Ellick and Casey Anning did last year. Like it's really, they are pouring a lot of expertise and money and care into a space. And I also think increasingly we are seeing people moving this stuff um, into a into a premium paid space. So, you know, obviously there's Luminary in the US and, and a few other things like that. I, so I think this, I think increasingly we'll see more um, more audio moving into this sort of this this premium space. And I think that's good. I think it needs a diverse ecosystem of, of different ways of paying for it in order for it to survive. And, I, you know, I'm also really like, you know, when we first started promoting at Burns and now that I'm promoting Nut Jobs, I'm actually surprised at how many people are just like they they recognise and I I know you could argue I would say this but I'm, I'm I find it really encouraging that people would say hey I've never paid for audio before but I see the value in you know signing up not just for your thing but also for you know all the other original series too and I think I think that, you know particularly at a time when there are so many media organisations that are you know you know undergoing really great difficulties. I don't think it's bad to encourage an audience that, hey, if you think this thing has value, it is worth paying for. Yeah. Um, and just while we're still on Audible, tell us a little bit about the journey of It Burns, maybe from how it was received, um, international feedback. Um, is there any follow-up to that? Well, my, yeah, so It Burns um, had a really unusual genesis. Um, so It Burns was the first Audible original podcast from Australia. And, you know, so I, uh, I had originally, uh, what happened was I knew there was some debate over the Guinness World Record for the world's hottest chilli and I knew that there was some conflict over it. And I did that thing where I just got interested and I started emailing people and started working out who the characters were. Because I think for me, I don't know if a series is worth doing until I know who the characters are. When I know who the characters are, then I know from that you can draw the arc, you can draw the plot, you can draw the themes, you know how to plot it more or less and I sort of knew what the characters were and I just I literally went off and I just typed it out I typed out five pages and I looked at it and went I didn't know what it was I didn't know if it was a, a tv documentary I didn't know if it was um, at that point podcast had even popped into my head and Audible actually reached out at a certain point and and said hey we're, we're, we're putting together creators do you have any ideas and I had this thing that I've been sitting on for a couple of weeks and I was just like well there's this weird scandal-plagued battle to breed the world's hottest chilli. And they, you know, to Audible's credit, they were really fast. They were like, yep, yep, that makes sense. And they put me in contact with a, they set me up with a, a UK production company by the name of Seven Digital. And that was great because they made me see the story in ways I didn't expect. And they, they, they made me think about why I wanted to tell the story. So there was a whole personal component that, that wasn't in my original pitch that they were like, and it helped that they didn't know who I was. Like they, they had no concept of who I was and so they were sort of approaching it cold. And it was a really unusual project where I obviously am Australian. The story takes place in Australia, the UK and the US. So I had a, a you know, production company in the UK and I was in the US by myself picking up bits and pieces. And so, you know, it was this really unusual, um, international, unusual international project that, you know, by rights should have been super complicated and should have been like, you know, there's so many ways to, to mess that up. I think we just got on, the production team and I just got on so well 
that, um, you know, and towards the end of making a series like that, it's literally being worked on 24 hours a day, depending on what time zone it's here in. So I'd be working on an Australian time zone, there'd be a bit of overlap with the American uh, producer, and then there'd be a bit of overlap with the UK producer. And towards the end, it's being worked on right till the, the very last minute. And so when it came out, um, I really didn't know what to expect. Like we worked on it a long time and I had some pretty clear ideas about what I wanted it to sound like, but I didn't know how it was going to be responded and how people were going to respond to it. And then to see it shoot to the top of not just the Australian Audible charts, but the US ones. And I think, I think it was when it got nominated for like a Rose Door, which is like a very prestigious European, mostly TV award. That was when I was like, oh, it's good. <laughs> you know, the moment like, oh yeah, it's, it's quite good. Cause you don't like, you don't ever think that about your own work. You just, you, when you listen to something, all you can hear is what's wrong with it. And I, and I've interviewed enough filmmakers and actors and directors and musicians over the years to know that pretty much everyone that creates something feels that way about their work. You listen to it and all you can hear is what's wrong with it. And to me these days that, you know, I, that's still all I hear about it. And then, I think it was, you know, the Rose Door nomination and then all of these emails I started getting from people in like Wendy in Michigan and, you know, Jack in Huddersfield. It's like, oh, wow, this is being heard all over the place. And I think, you know, there's a personal, very vulnerable component to it that I think people either loved or hated, but the people that it spoke to, it really cut through. And, you know, I think... That stuff's in, it's just really humbling to realise that you can make something that people really feel like it speaks to them. And I think it says a little bit about the intimacy of audio. You know, it's, audio's, you know, audible podcasts and podcasts in general are quite different to radio and to TV. You put in the headphones and suddenly there's this world that is created between your ears. And that's um, enormously creative from a creative standpoint, but um, it also allows you to be incredibly vulnerable and create really, you know, tender moments as well. And I think that's something that, I think it's a, it's a really powerful medium. And I, I, I feel like we're all starting to realise now the power of the medium to, to, to build worlds in people's minds. Okay. I've one more on this audible thing. So you've got a food theme happening, haven't you? You've got nuts. Do you need to break away from that or would it good to go for the three-peat and, and find something else with a, with a food connection? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't intentional, I must say. And now, now I've been getting, ever since we sort of revealed the, the, the topic of nut jobs, everybody's been DMing me their weird food stories and saying, hey, you should do this, hey, you should do this, hey, you should do this. Which, look, I mean, we'll look into them. Um, no, look, I, I don't... Uh, it's funny, just overnight we won this, um, this very big food award in the US, the James Beard Award, which has like been won by Anthony Bourdain and Samin Nostrat and David wow. Chang, like every like major, you know, food personality in the US and we just won. And I, thank you, but it's also like I, I feel like a bit of, I feel this way about a lot of things. It's like I, I feel once again like I'm stepping into a world I don't belong um, I, and there's a natural sort of imposter syndrome that comes with that of like, this is, you know, to be, to win an award that's been won by, you know, people like Anthony Bourdain, it's like, that's very like, it's, yeah, you, you do sort of go, how did this happen? Um, I think in terms of the future, 
what I look, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not averse to the idea of doing another food series, but I think what it has to be is, it has to be something with a, you know, a chewy, um, a chewy, quirky edge that lets you go in and explore something bigger. So um, there is a, a few other series ideas that I'm working on at the moment, both in TV and in audio. And, uh, you know, some of them are about food, some of them are about history, some of them are about race, some of them are about religion. Race and religion, I think, are two areas that I'm obviously super interested in. And so that's the space I'm looking at, I guess. I'm, I'm looking at can you find a, a digestible doorway Digestible doorway. Oh my God, what a terrible term that is. Can you can you find a quirky doorway into a big world? And and I think it's a it's a really great tool for bringing people into ideas they might not necessarily have considered in the rest of their life. And I think that that as a mode of storytelling, were it feels very comfortable for me. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. So you. Yeah. It was a James Beard Award, right? And um, yeah. Um, Incredible. Now, what was the? I'm just looking at it as I'm scrolling through. It was um, now. This is all related to food. This award. Yeah. So they're like the. So they're like the Oscars of food in America. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. And so obviously, like all of their, all of their, you know, it's the biggest competition for for chefs, and then they've got a media component. Right. And Chef's Table won um, something this year. I think Rotten on Netflix won, and then we won. Um, yeah, it was very surprising like, yeah, and yeah, lovely, lovely, <laughs> super lovely. Let me emphasize again, lovely. <laughs> um, so, okay, well, that, a quick little update before I let you go then about various things you work on. So mm. the, the feed, what, what's the latest on the feed? Now, you, that's uh, Tuesday nights at 10 uh, p.m. on the primary channel these days. Of course, also on demand, I guess, is still how a lot of people must access it. Yeah, and social is the other thing. I think feed, the feed's always had a very strong social media um, following. And I would say, actually, generally speaking, SBS's social channels are, are really, really strong. And I think a lot of people... What's been actually really lovely about this year is that a lot of... Um, in the past, a lot of people have said to me, hey, I've only ever seen the feed on, on the internet because it was on Viceland and, you know, it's a secondary channel. What's been nice this year is we still get that, but yeah. on top of that, I'm getting a lot of people saying, hey, I saw you after that line. And, um, and I think some of the brand recognition of people watching me on Insight and sort of sticking around for the feed might be helping as well. But it's nice to have, you know, being on a main channel, you just get a different kind of, um, a different kind of cross-section of people watching. And it's been lovely that, you know, people have sort of taken it up and, they they they've been warming to the show, which is nice. You know, it's nice to have like a late night news show, but that with that that doesn't take itself seriously. That has a lot of empathy and humour to it. And I think people, I've found anyway in terms of the interactions I've had with people, people sort of seem to like it. Now, a recent episode of Insight you hosted left me with one nagging question: What time do you normally go to bed? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, we, we um for the, for those wondering, we did an episode uh, about sleep hacks, hacking your sleep, and uh, as part of it, the the team got me and Michael Mosley, the British doctor, to both test our sleep. And anybody that knows me knows I'm I don't like sleeping. I'm I don't enjoy it, <laughs> um, and I do tend to go to sleep quite late at night. And I generally go to sleep between sort of one and one thirty ish. Uh, which would be fine, except my children persist with waking us up around six thirty. So, 
Um, but what I discovered from doing it is that the quality of sleep I get, whilst less than it's health, healthy, is, is is surprisingly good. So because you, your sleep is is a is a qualitatively measured thing. So apparently, yes, I do need to sleep more. But what I'm getting isn't that. Okay, so you can get by on five hours for successive nights, okay? Yeah, yeah. In fact, if I have more than seven, I get weird. I start yawning throughout the day. So maybe I'm maybe I've been maybe I've been doing it for too long. But um, yeah, I'm I'm sure there'll be some horrible health effects down the line. But it's horrible health effects for everything. Now you also still now I remember when we she must have been how long ago did download the show launch? 2012. Okay. So it's 2012. So what are we at now? So what is that? Eight? Eight? Yeah. That was the podcast we did with you, I think, was when that launched. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, So congratulations on those eight years. Now, is it it also broadcast on Radio National or is it just a pure podcast? No, no, no. It's, It's actually, yeah, no, it's made for Radio National and then they put it out as a podcast. I mean, we obviously knew... We, we created the show with an intention of it being podcast. That's why we called it what we did. Um, but also, so it goes out on Radio National. I think it plays on um, a few of the local radio stations around the country as well. And they broadcast it on ABC News channel on TV as well. So it's become like this weird... It's so funny. Like, it's such a simple show. Like, it's just me talking to two other people that are smarter than me. And they tell me, <laughs> we talk about what happened in the world of media and technology and culture. It's the simplest thing. But, and every time I try and trick it up, the audience always come back and go, no, 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 no. I just want you to like make media and culture and technology digestible so I seem smart when I get to dinner parties. I'm like, we can do that. that, that we can do that. Um, so it's, it's actually one of the highlights of my week because it's fun and I feel like I get a chance to talk about the stuff that I don't really get to talk about it in any other parts of my life. It's lovely that, it's lovely that people have stuck with it after all these years. Yeah. Um, the, so, yeah, so download the show. Uh, the, was like, now, there's a recent episode on HBO and Warner Media, Foxtel's New Deal. And the thing, mm. that's what, what I wanted to say is the thing I like about download the show, you don't just have the usual suspects on as guests. You throw <laughs> the net quite widely and you often get people who you probably haven't heard their opinions before, but they're, they're, you want to hear them because of what they do in their day job. So yeah. congratulations it's on been a, the talent book. Which it's I'm, been a big... It's just me, <laughs> generally speaking. It's, it's a big thing for me that, um, you know, I was the great beneficiary of somebody taking a punt on me hmm. at various different points in my career when I... And I believe that um, I believe in sort of kicking that can forward a little bit and and trying out people and giving them a chance to get on national radio and and talk about their stuff and it's so lovely to see I mean I certainly can't claim credit for these people's careers and I wouldn't dream to but I but I do extract enormous amount of joy out of seeing people like you know Ray Johnson was on um, in, um, on Q&A on Monday and um, you know, certainly not saying that you know we're responsible for that but it's just a joy to see people who've been regulars on the show go on to bigger things like Wendy Zuckerman who hosts Science Versus for Gimlet in the US um, Claire Riley who's now at CNET in, um, in San Francisco like I love that um, at least we, we figured in part of their early um, careers um, to, to, you know, to give them, you know, a space to, like, have opinions and, 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 and do analysis of the world. I think that's a, I think it's a lovely arena for that as well. Yeah. Okay, and I'll sort of wind this up and I, I drop you this question without any notice, but a year, it was virtually a year ago you gave me five 
good podcasts to listen to. So I'll, I'll remind you of what they were and then you can yeah. tell me if there's anything you would add to that list, all right? So it was oh, yeah. one with, um, I think, Zane Rowe and Miff Warhurst. Yeah. Right if you're listening with Matt Bevan, The mm-hmm. Business, Running From Cops and Willosophy, Will Anderson's, uh, one of Will Anderson's podcasts. I mean, I still love all of those podcasts, although sadly we haven't had Bang On for a while. Um, I think the, do you, do, you want, do you want five more from me? Do you want five new ones? Whatever you've got, one, ten, whatever you can rattle off. Oh, mate, I, I'm just like, look at this podcast all the time. Um, i, I, I got to drive. You've just put a post up recently too with some, some recommendations, I think, haven't you, for your playlist? Yeah. Um, so what am I listening to at the moment? Um, okay, so there is a, a show out of Gimlet called Winds, Wind of Change. It's great. It's an American one. Um, I love the I, – look, there's, there's a lot of daily morning news podcasts out there. My recommendation is one called The Intelligence from The Economist. Great international news but, like, just interesting stories. It's very no-frills but just interesting stories. Um, there is – not too daunting, you say. The Economist people think, "Oh, go, that'll be." No, no, it's not. It's just, it's just like it's sort of presented um, very cleanly and flatly, but it's got just the stories are really interesting. You know, like they're just interesting stories, and I find it less. Um, there, there are a few podcasts that I find have a bit of self-importance about themselves, yeah. and like in terms of daily news podcasts, like they, they, they take themselves very seriously. What I like about the intelligence is like it just gets on with it. Really? Okay. It's not. It's not too busy trying to tell you how important it is, or okay. telling you what else you need to know today. No. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, th- those are the main ones I'm listening to at the moment. Oh, I actually, I would say, um, you know what I got into, and obviously I'm a bit biased because I know him, but Dan Ellick's Irrational Fear podcast should absolutely be a TV show. All right, like, it's great. It's like it's like it's the it's sort of like the um, rambunctious. Uh, satire live show that you kind of wish was on like a Saturday night. I was like, it just should be a, a show. It's so, and it gets great people on it. It's just and a really interesting mix of, you know, political people, journal people and comedy people. Like he knows how to, it's just good. It's really good. Really recommended. Um, and I, and I, did, I finished the 11th, which is an ABC podcast about, um, about uh, Gough Whitlam. That was great. And... If anything else, stop me if I'm boring you. That'll do. No, that's good. That that gives us a good yeah. lead. Yeah, I thought those ones are really good. And um, I mean, I sh- yeah. And you should probably listen to Nudge. <laughs> okay, now this really is my final question. Um, that's all right. Foxtel launched Binge a week ago. I'm not sure if you've had much of a chance to look at it, but but on your HBO <laughs> podcast, there was some interesting chat about what's worth your ten bucks. To me, yeah. quickly, this binge goes to my number one ranking for value in terms of streaming service in Australia. Have you got any Yeah, thought? so we, yeah, we did binge on download, which should be out, if not, we recorded it yesterday, so it should be out sometime today. We did binge, okay. uh, it was reviewed on it. I think, yeah, I think binge is, look, I think binge is overdue, realistically. I feel like Fox has had a few, just, um, this is me speaking as a consumer. Yeah. I think Fox has had a few false starts, you know, Fox got play, Fox got go, Fox um, there's no question Foxtel has incredible content. Like, they just do. And that, that deal that they've got with both FX and um, HBO is 
you know, delivers them a pipeline of exceptional content. The issue for me as a consumer has been that I always had to do this elaborate process of, because I don't have a set-top box because I've had to do this process of like airplaying my Foxtel Go now to up my TV and it's, there's, you know, a little bit of lag and latency and it's just like, that should not be that hard. I think if Binge, and by the looks of it they have, if Binge fixes that problem, then it's a bloody good investment. I do think it is interesting that some key, like iconic Foxtel shows like Wentworth aren't on it. I think that's interesting. Um, I can understand how that's happened, but I think if they want Binge to be, you know, one of the big, you know, one of the big sort of things that was put forward as streaming services started unrolling in Australia is that they don't invest in local content. Right, and that has proven to be, with the exception of Stan, largely true. They don't. And by the way, big ups to Stan for the investment they've made in, in local content on streaming services. Foxtel was one of the leading voices saying, "Hey, these streaming services don't invest in local content. We do, and they do. The full credit to them, they do. But then, if they're going to launch something like Binge and not put on their most important, iconic Australian production like Wentworth, I think they damage their positioning a little bit." So, I mean, may, look, maybe they, they I know the new season's due to, of, of Wentworth is due to come out uh, in the end of July. So maybe they'll do it after the fact and they want to preserve that launch. And I, sus and I suspect that is the case. But I think, you know, we know that viewing is moving to that on-demand platform. That's not a surprise to anybody. I would like to see them, you know, do as good a job as they do. And, and, I, and I think Fox will do commission some great dramas like lambs of god like they do great dramas i would love to see them shift that attention that focus over to a platform that is super easy to use because i reckon they'll be great like i reckon lambs you know lamb of gods and some of that other stuff that they put out secret city you know I, if that had been on a platform that was super easy to use that would have been the talk of the town you know and i think i think they in some ways it's about doing surf like they've clearly got good taste, it's about making sure the technology is there to service their, their, their great commissions. And that's, you know, I'm sort of, you know, walking a diplomatic line there, but I think um, it's a good start, but I, I kind of wish they'd done it four years ago. The tough crowd, all that content for 10 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny with that stuff where we talk about inventory being such a big deal. It's like, you know, the biggest criticism of Apple TV Plus when Apple rolled out was like, oh, they don't have the back catalogue of show of, you know, like all these other streaming platforms. I don't think it matters. I think, I think when you evaluate whether a streaming service is worth it, you're going, did I watch one thing or two things on that platform this month? I watched two things. Yeah. Oh, it's worth 10 bucks. So I don't know that the back catalogue argument is as important as people make it out to be. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Netflix lived for 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 years on um, uh, House of Cards. I, I totally. I watched for three or four years. You know. Yeah, the uh, only exception would be Disney. I think you know, having two yeah. small kids, like I'm, I watch so much random things on Disney that I didn't even know existed. That's that's all back catalogue. But I think for the stuff that's really their game plan is premium drama, two, three, like big attention getting, talkable shows a month. Is should be all they sort of need to, to be competitive in that space. And it is going to get really competitive because there's now too many of them. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mr Fennell, I'll let you go. Get on with your day. Look, great talking to you as always. The new podcast is Nut Jobs um, and it's out on Audible June 2. Thank you, mate. Thank you, James.